All right, hello everyone. Welcome to the Thursday Theology Podcast, episode one with Pastor Holland from Eastside Community Church and our intern, pastoral intern, Caden Wright. Caden, say what's up. Tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Uh, what's going on, guys? I'm Caden. Uh, I'm decided to spend this summer interning uh, with Holland at, at Eastside Community Church just to get a more well-rounded understanding of what ministry looks like and what being a pastor looks like. Uh, I'm in my senior year in college, about to graduate and decide whether or not I'm going to seminary or going to to be in ministry. So we're just figuring out what that looks like. So yeah, excited to be here. Yeah. And over the summer, one thing we wanted to do is be able to kick off this podcast that I've been wanting to start for a while, uh, Thursday Theology, where we're able to discuss Issues of faith, culture, theology, things that are relevant in what's going on in our lives that the Bible can speak into and uh, that I can try to dig into a biblical perspective about. And so today what we're doing is diving into some questions from our sermon on Sunday. We've been going through the book of Acts and we uh, finished Acts chapter 19 where we got to see some really interesting things with God doing extraordinary miracles through the hands of Paul and then encountering some evil quote, evil spirits and demons. And so um, wanted to be able to dig into that a little bit uh, and explore some questions related to that. And so Caden's got some questions and I'm going to try to answer from the biblical perspective or, um, yeah, uh, theological perspective from uh, just kind of what does the whole Bible say about this? Uh, what does um, kind of church history or other theologians in the past say about this? And just kind of explore some of these questions together. So, Caden, question one. What do you got for me? <laughs> well, um, I definitely consider myself a, a big thinker. So whenever we give a sermon, especially with something about as interesting as demons, I, all these questions pop in my mind about... Uh, just their nature and what that looks like. Um, the question that I had is what can demons do to Christians? Like do Christians have any sort of protection from like the actual actions of demons? Can they affect us physically? Um, do they have more control over non-Christians? I, I, I would assume yes, but uh, that's kind of the question I have there. Yeah. Great question. Um, so we, uh, we see that like in Acts 19, there's like a clear case where it says uh, someone is possessed by a demon, right? Uh, so uh, let's take a look at verse 13. Um, some, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And then verse 15 says, But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So this is an example when it, when it says specifically that this evil spirit is in someone, um, and the, the evil spirit or the demon is the one speaking uh, controlling the man's body and his actions. I think it's clear here that um, this is a person who has been possessed by a demon, someone who is no longer really like in control, at least in this moment. So there's not a whole lot of details in the Bible about how demon possession works, but we do have um, 
anecdotes. We have stories, right? We have a couple examples of, for instance, this man. There's a young a young boy who's uh, possessed by a demon. The demon throws him into fire and water and things mm. like that. If you can remember that from the Gospels, or uh, Legion, someone who is filled with many demons, right? And Jesus has an interaction with him, and uh, it seems as though the that someone, whenever they are possessed by a demon, the demon's intention is always the harm of that person and others through that person. So with the little boy in, um, I think it's somewhere around like Mark 8 uh, or Mark 9, 10, somewhere around there. Um, there's this little boy and the demon's trying to throw him into fire, water, harm the little boy uh, with legion in, uh, I believe, Mark 4 or 5. Uh, it says that he's living in like a cemetery or a graveyard and he's cutting himself with stones, right? And so he's harming himself. Others are afraid to go near him for fear of being harmed by him. Um, this person here in Acts 19 uh, attacks and masters, overpowers seven people. It's one verse seven, and he's able to take them all out so that they leave uh, naked and wounded, it says. Uh, and so, you know, what is a demon able to do to a person? Um, at, at least, you know, we'll get into the issue of believer versus non-believer, um, but at least we see that a demon is able to enter into a person, take over their actions, um, their thoughts and intentions even, it seems like, um, but at least their actions, um, and be able to even speak through them or for them. Um, and then there's also the example of uh, in the Gospels where it says that Satan entered into Judas, if you remember this, mm -hmm. where so not just a demon, but Satan himself enters into Judas, um, maybe temporarily, right? Uh, but to influence him in the way of uh, the, the events unfolding uh, leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus. And so with that said, there's possession, right? Uh, that demons can do that. But you also have um, these uh, this idea of light not being able to have fellowship with darkness and the idea of um, people being, uh, when you're delivered, when you're saved, when you're forgiven, you're also sealed by the Holy Spirit, right? God fills us with his Holy Spirit. And so there's this idea of like, if God's Spirit is in you, you can no longer be possessed by a demon or by Satan. Um, but at the same time, Jesus teaches his people to pray, deliver us from the evil one, right? Paul instructs us in Ephesians 6 to put on the full armor of God that we might be able to stand up against um, the schemes of the enemy, right? Uh, he says, Ephesians six twelve, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so even though we cannot be possessed by a demon, we can still, uh, we still wrestle with spiritual forces of darkness like Satan and demons. Um, in such a way that they can cause harm to us, can torment us. Satan's called the father of lies um, on multiple occasions by Jesus and Paul, and I believe. Um, and, and therefore, you know, one of the ways Satan and demons can influence or attack us is um, speaking lies to us somehow, um, that we might believe something's false, something that is false that would lead us into harm. Um, and so that that's yeah how I'd answer that. I think uh, non-believer I would say can be possessed. Uh, believers I would say cannot be possessed, uh, but can be tormented, lied to, misled, 
harmed. Um, yeah, yeah, so just opp- oppressed by demons. Because, I mean, I've yeah. heard stories of people that um, have experienced demons. Like, they're saved, but they've, you know, either seen demons or felt the presence of a demon, like that darkness, um, and had more of, like, a, a weight on their shoulders because of uh, that demon being there. And also them being able to, like, straight up recognize that, yeah, that's not, the light that's definitely the dark yeah um i think that's it's interesting uh, i feel like you know the holy spirit there's not really <laughs> enough room for uh, a demon to fit in there with the holy spirit um it's definitely interesting yeah there's no uh, i can't think of a single biblical example of um a believer a new testament believer at least um i think there's times when it says you know like in the old testament like saul uh, you know being influenced or an evil spirit entering into or coming over him Um, but that would be before saul had the holy you know uh believers had the holy spirit and so i can't think of a single instance in the new testament where someone where a believer is said to be indwelt by a demonic spirit an evil spirit or something like that yeah that makes sense well at at the same time um we talk about you said that possession can look like them kind of changing their thoughts and uh, kind of how they carry out themselves. Like they, they act differently than they did before. Right. Like, do you think that um, possession or even just like demons being involved in someone's life can have some sort of um, can manifest itself in different ways, whether that's like mental health issues or, you know, physical sickness with, some people like being sick and no one knows how to how to help them and then like, I've heard stories like that where someone is sick and they can't figure out what to do, the doctors can't help and then you know, yeah. people come and pray for them for weeks and for, for months and then eventually they just are healed. Uh and the doctors have no idea what happened. Like I'm I'm wondering if that's like you know, that's another example of possession just manifesting itself in a different way rather than the the head turning backwards and cl- climbing down the stairs the wrong yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, the kind of grotesque depictions of demonic possession that you see in movies like what, what The Conjuring or The Exorcist and yeah. stuff like that, you don't really see in the Bible. Um, but, you know, we don't we don't really know what it looked like in some of these things, what Legion was like, what this encounter with the demon-possessed man was like. Um, but the emphasis is, ne- you know, it's not like on creepiness, <laughs> right? It's on power. Yeah. Um, and that's why when Jesus was able to cast out demons in the Gospels, people were astounded that he could do it, you know, with authority. He cast them out with authority. They were astounded at his power. Um, and so the idea is that demons are really powerful beings. And I think we can, you know, kind of fall off uh, two different sides of this issue. One side being, you know, oh, demons... Uh, are you know not powerful and they're not able to affect our minds or our physical health or anything like that. And the other way to fall off would be um, thinking that every issue someone has is a demonic issue. Mm-hmm. If someone's sick, it's a demon. If someone's having you know uh, anxiety or depression, it's a demon. Uh, and I think bo- both of those are errors, and that uh, it's a more nuanced kind of thing to say. Well, sometimes it's our bodies being broken and sickness that science doesn't understand. Um, and other times it could be demonic attack or, um, some kind of 
dark power. Uh, you know, when, when Paul talks about these cosmic powers over the present darkness and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, uh, I think the that that kind of language is meant to make us go like, wow, these are big powers. These are things that we on our own strength can't stand against. We need the power of God, the armor of God, the um, the healing and protection that comes from Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of angels. Like I think something that we don't talk about a lot is uh, angelology and that God has angels who are ministering spirits uh, sent to help his people and even protect us from um, Satan and, and demons. Uh, so there's this whole spiritual world, right, um, that can interact with the physical world. And I think there are examples in the Bible of um, sickness, harm, mental uh, issues that are going on that seem to be connected with demonic oppression or possession. So does that answer the question? Anything I need to elaborate on there? No, that makes sense to me. Um, I, I thought I had while discussing that was how you said that you know uh not everything has to be you know some the demons doing something to someone like not all sickness is um a demon possessing someone right um it kind of made me think of like you know uh a different way to think about it like god control can control the weather but god isn't causing natural disasters like hurricanes and stuff that could be another debate for another podcast. <laughs> well, There's clear examples uh, of, you know, God sending a strong wind, a strong east wind mm. in the book of Jonah, you know, and God causing the waves to rise up in Jonah or Jesus speaking to the storm and stilling it in the Gospels. Um, and so there's people who land on different sides. That uh, Similar idea, though, like you're saying, is that some people say, well, hey, sometimes these are just natural things set in motion. Uh -huh. Other people would say, well, even so, God's sovereign over all of it. And so does a hurricane happen apart from uh, apart from God's will? Uh, and so that, that's a whole other whole other debate. <laughs> but it's a similar similar issue. Um, I think the difference would be God is sovereign over all things, whereas demons are not. So um, you can debate whether or not a sickness is permitted by God or caused by God, right? Mm -hmm. Um uh, because God is sovereign over all things, and he's able to cause all things if he desires to. And yet demons uh, are not uh, omnipotent and, and sovereign over everything. And so a demon isn't necessarily capable of causing all these things, um, but is potentially capable of causing some things. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. I, I wouldn't, I'm not questioning that God can't cause whatever right. he wants to cause. Um, I guess at the, end of, at the end of the day, whatever God does is ultimately moral because <laughs> he creates the standards of morality. True. Um, even though it might not make much sense, like the flood doesn't make much sense if you think about it in like a human moral compass. Um, but using the Bible as that sort of basis does make sense, but that's off topic. <laughs> um, uh, let me let me ask another question. Um, I'm interested talking about exorcisms. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm interested in talking about exorcisms because we see that these, uh, the Jewish guys, I mean, it's like their job to exercise people. Correct. Right. In Acts 19. Yeah. Yeah. It says that there are, um, 
itinerant Jewish exorcists. Itinerant meaning they travel from place to place for their work. Okay. And so they're going they're going around. People hire them to do exorcisms. Is the idea there? Okay. So if they're being hired, I assume that it's worked at some point, unless they're just scamming people. Right. Um, <laughs> Which maybe they were. <laughs> That's true. I mean. People scam people all the time today in the name of religion or name of casting out demons and stuff like that. Um, but my question is, like, um, the disciples and Paul, they got their authority from, you know, Jesus or the Holy Spirit to cast out demons. Uh, these guys aren't because they're not. I mean, they may be, but they're not Christian. They're not calling to Jesus. Um, and so how does that really work like do we have any insight on how like who has authority when it comes to exorcisms like is it kind of just like let's hope god lets this one go through yeah (laughs) yeah so great question um so there's a there's a couple like places you can learn like you can you can google some of this stuff and Mm -hmm. and just kind of look up some websites like jewish websites that'll talk about like Hey, if you want to learn about some Jewish rituals, beliefs, things like this, like uh, myjewishlearning.com, for instance, has a bunch of, you know, just kind of base level stuff that you can learn about Jewish culture. It's got a, a section on Jewish exorcism. Uh, so here, here's what it says on my myjewishlearning.com. So this isn't, you know, like a, a scholarly resource or something like this. This is just like a, hey, if you want an introduction to some of these things, here's, a, here's a, a simple, what's that? That would take a lot more time. Yeah. Dude. Here's a simple introduction. So it says, Exorcism is a ritual of power performed in order to drive an evil spirit, whether demonic or ghostly, from a possessed person, location, or object. Um, Ghostly. Yeah, ghostly. The first allusion (laughs) to exorcism appears in the Bible, in the youth narratives of David, 1 Samuel. But while the biblical David seemed to be able to effect a temporary expulsion of Saul's evil spirit using music, the book of Tobit contains the first explicit description of an informal exorcism. Uh, In his description, uh, Josephus uh, is a Jewish historian recounting this. In his description, exorcism involved burning herbs, immersing the possessed person in water, um, and then uh, mentions the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, which if you're you're not familiar with that, you can look up Dead Sea Scrolls, but um, uh, some ancient documents uh, that were found that had scripture as well as some other um, kind of like Jewish... um, ceremonial or ritual kind of instructions or history and things like that uh and and so the dead sea scrolls uh has a collection of it says here four songs for the charming of demons with music uh and so music was a big aspect of how uh you it was thought that you could cast out a demon um uh, it says further down as well the process usually starts with the exorcist ritually purifying himself either according to traditional Jewish practice or by special means, anointing himself with water and oil. Uh, and so there were, there were these kind of ritualistic things that you would do. Um, uh, some of them involved scripture, like psalms, or certain uh, like non-scriptural songs that you would sing. Uh, and the idea is like you're using these songs as a way to... Um, uh, it, it's, the idea behind it is an, it's an act of worship God and calling on God's help. Um, as well as uh, one, one thing they also use that you can kind of see in uh, in the Bible as well as some other kind of like historical accounts from first century or beforehand is that uh, 
like using the name of the demon they would try to like if you could figure out the name of the demon and say it you would have authority or power over that demon um and so uh this is why you know when when jesus um encounters demons a lot of times they a lot of scholars new testament scholars agree that when the demons say like we know who you are you're jesus of nazareth or the christ the messiah the holy one um, what they're doing is they're not just like sharing hey we know who you are isn't that great <laughs> they're they're actually trying to gain power over jesus in the same way that exorcists would gain power over demons by saying their name um, but it doesn't work on Jesus because he's the Lord, right? And he doesn't even have to use any of these methods. He doesn't have to ritually purify himself. He doesn't use a psalm or a song, any kind of musical, anything. doesn't burn any herbs. Jesus simply says, come out. And the demons have to listen because he's the Lord. And so, um, yeah, you, there, there's a lot of different kind of methods that people used. In Acts 19, um, they they don't do it doesn't seem like they do any of these things they don't quote a psalm or sing a song or purify themselves or anything they try to just use the name of jesus but it doesn't work apparently because they don't know jesus they're identified as jewish exorcists not christian exorcists not disciples not believers um they're they're jewish believers but they don't know jesus and so they try to use his name but it doesn't work because it's not just a magic word, right? The mm -hmm. authority of the name of Jesus um, is given to those who are united to him by faith. Um, and, and so they seem to be lacking faith in Jesus, lacking a relationship with Jesus, lacking the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority that comes as believers. And so they fail and they get beat up. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. I Okay. While you were saying that, two, yeah. thought, two thoughts came up. Okay. First thought. I think it's interesting that the demons tried to overpower Jesus, even though they knew who he was. So they probably knew they wouldn't be able to. Um, I, I just think that's interesting because yeah. it's almost like, I don't know if that's like desperation, if that's arrogance. Um, they are demons, so what they do is sinful. So that could be like, Oh yeah, I'm better than you, or or whatever. But uh, I think that's it's interesting that they're trying to overpower Jesus when they should really, you know, in reality, be like, yeah, let's just run away, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> because they have, they have no shot at doing anything. Exactly. Um, the other thought I had was when I think about these guys making a living off of um, performing exorcisms, like I said before, it had to have worked at some point, right? Uh, and my thought is that um, at some point before Christianity was a thing, these Jewish rituals worked. I mean, we see yeah. that in the Bible, it worked in worked, the Old Testament. Worked enough to get people to want to pay them for it, at least, right? Yeah. So, like, even 50% <laughs> is better than 0%, right? That, that's true. And my, my question is, like, did the introduction of, of Jesus, did his sacrifice and kind of the the tables changing on what belief was and what faith was um uh going from you know judaism to christianity did that you know turn the tables on the authority of exorcism like what yeah. how it looked different yeah i hear you i think what may 
maybe another perspective. I think that's possible. I think maybe another perspective is uh, not that something changed in terms of authority with the incarnation and the ministry of Jesus, but rather that um, these Jewish exorcists maybe had like spotty success, right? Demons are more powerful than humans. That Maybe there were some things they were doing that worked, just praying and asking for God's help and seeing people delivered, right? But then they see Paul, or they hear stories about Paul, and these demons, right, just before this, it says that evil spirits come out of people just by touching a handkerchief or an apron that Paul had touched. Like, Paul's ministry was just, you know, like nothing anyone had ever seen before in terms of the authority he had over evil spirits. And maybe they thought, like, hey, Paul's being really successful with this. It's not even his job. <laughs> mm-hmm. Paul's main thing is he's preaching the gospel, making disciples, planting churches, um, and, you know, telling people about Jesus died and rose to save sinners and bring you to God. He's spreading that message. And as he goes, he's casting out demons because he has the authority of Jesus, right? And so I think what likely happened is they heard about Paul's ministry and just like the powerful ministry of exorcism he had against those who were oppressed or possessed. And they're like, well, let's try Paul's thing. Apparently he preaches some guy named Jesus. So at the next house we go to, <laughs> let's try saying the name Jesus and seeing, you know, uh, if we can have some success with that without realizing that it wasn't just using the name Jesus as a magic word, but rather it was Paul's actual union with Christ through faith in him that was the source of his power and authority. So that that would be my take, my um, guess on what was going on there. But, you know, it doesn't tell us explicitly, so... Yeah, just interesting thought about that. Um, okay, uh, I kind of want to go. I want to think more about uh, what it looks like today, um, especially with our culture um, and how we we don't really have much of a demon culture here. Like when you preached about it, it was kind of a like a shocker it's like well this is like real like this stuff actually happens right uh, and we know that in other countries uh more in like the eastern part of the world it's a much more obvious um and they talk about it a lot more uh so i want to hear your thoughts on if you know this is like a deliberate thing like is the same thing happening here we just are ignoring it or acting like it's not real um, is it happening more there? Does it look different? Like, what is this spiritual side, this spiritual realm that we're not seeing here? Like, why is why are there different stories in different places than here? Yeah, I think it com- is a great question. I think it comes down to strategy. Um, you know, if your if your goal is to s- destroy someone's faith or marriage or ministry. And you're you're doing that on a global scale. So we're thinking about Satan and demons and the spiritual war that's going on globally in every nation. Um, lots of different cultures, very diverse, you know, um, I guess, like the idea of like what you mentioned, what's going on over here versus in the East, uh, like Eastern Hemisphere, or um, I, I would say even... Uh, it's not necessarily just Eastern Hemisphere, but like the different cultures that are more um, open to the spiritual reality, um, reality of a spiritual world, uh, who believe in, 
you know, uh, who believe in spirits, who believe in God, who believe in demons, who believe whatever, whether it's a Christian view, pagan view, Muslim view, um, whatever it may be. There's different cultures around the world. Um, uh, just thinking globally, just crazy how diverse it is. And so you're thinking like, man, if you're trying to destroy all these different people's faith and family and churches and ministries all around the world, like your, your strategy, um, your strategy in general is going to be the same kind of thing, but your tactics are going to differ from place to place, right? And what's going to be more effective in certain places. And so what it seems like to me is in cultures where, um, they're more open to the reality of a spiritual world, Satan tends to, tends to operate in a more overtly spiritual, uh, way in terms of like, um, uh, overt attack, overt possession or oppression, um, uh, things like that, really trying to um, flex his power and use fear and terror to um, try to have victory in those places. Whereas in cultures like modern Western cultures like United States, where there's much less kind of um, uh, openness to the reality of a spiritual world, um, even so like, you know, first of all, you know, a place where it's very common to be agnostic or atheistic, big cities around the United States and stuff like that, as well as even Christians that just still, because of being in a modern Western, like post-enlightenment culture, think spiritual stuff like angels and demons is weird. Mm-hmm. Like we're just very different than a place like Tanzania or Brazil or, you know, um, uh, East Asia, like whatever it is. So just a very different culture to where it seems to me like Satan's tactic is to operate more discreetly, um, not overtly, but covertly, um, really more uh, behind the scenes rather than out in the open, operating in ways of um, temptation, of luring people away uh, from the truth with false teaching, um, operating really more invisibly uh, here. And there's a quote from C.S. Lewis I shared in the sermon um, where uh in the book the screw tape letters where it's one demon mentoring a younger demon as the premise of the book on how to be more effective with his um uh, they're called patience right the person he's been assigned to torment and so here's what the older demon says to the younger demon uh about this patient you know who's living in a modern western world he says i do not think you'll have much difficulty in keeping your patient in the dark The fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that something he cannot believe, or persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, he therefore cannot believe in you. Saying the strategy is like, if you can make angels and demons and spiritual stuff seem like silly, uh, then you can get them, you can get people to just kind of reject all of it altogether, rather than believing a a more biblical um, version of spiritual reality that's not silly devils in red tights, but actual spiritual beings um, waging war against the people of God. And so I think that's what's going on in a culture like ours: is Satan is operating discreetly, kind of kind of playing along with uh, our view of angels and demons being silly, and saying, "Sure, let's go with that," and I'm gonna operate in the background covertly, discreetly to still destroy your marriages, tear down your churches, ruin your ministries, and do it in a way where um, I'm not even getting any attention for it. <laughs> no one even knows I'm here, right? So I think it comes down to uh, tactics that are going to be more more or less affected in different cultures. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, 
Do you think that the presence of the church has any effect on that? Like, uh, I don't want to speak for like where churches are mostly centralized. I know actually like right now, like the church is more moving to like the Southern hemisphere more than the Northern hemisphere, like at a huge, super fast rate. Like South America is like going off, like they're getting right. tons of Christians. Um, like the countries that the church isn't as big of a deal. Like there's like a, most people are agnostic or atheist or of a different religion. Like are those countries, you know, less protected in air quotes than like we may be? Uh, like does the church have some sort of like square footage that it covers like <laughs> protecting people from demonic possession? Yeah, I don't know about a square, <laughs> a square footage, but I, I do know that um, there is... You know, there's like strong biblical cases to be made that um, you are more in danger of satanic or demonic attack when you are alone than when you are in community. Um, there are, uh, you know, what First Peter uh, three, no five eight. First Peter five eight, I think. Check me on that. Um, <laughs> I think is where he's giving a warning and he says, uh, Satan or your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Um, someone to devour, right? Like Satan operates best. A lion, the idea of a lion, you know, a lion is going to hunt a prey, right? And wait till it's isolated alone away from the pack and strike when it's not able to fight back and like, uh, when it's going to be easy, right? Uh, and so in the same way, like, Satan, he's prowling around, right, looking for someone to devour, someone who's been separated from the pack, who's been isolated from church community, um, is going to be the easiest person to take down. Uh, and so with all of the commands in the New Testament, with the one another's of how to encourage one another, you know, exhort one another to stand fast, to stay firm, to you know, not grow weary in doing good. All of those things are there because like the value of church community in the body of Christ is you can build each other up and have each other's back. And so there's value in belonging deeply to community um, in terms of your spiritual health and protection from the enemy. Um, and so I would say that like belonging to a local church, it, there's some, there's some protection there. <laughs> Um, but not just like having your name on the roster, but yeah. like actually belonging to a local church where you're in community. You're going to have people praying for you, checking in with you, encouraging you, holding you accountable, um, helping you to say no to sin and Satan and the flesh and say yes to Jesus. So I, I, I do think that that matters. Um, and, I, and a thought that I've had before, too, is like we don't get any sense in the Bible that the number of angels or demons is growing. Yeah. Right? It seems to be like a static number. Um, they don't multiply like humans do. And so this is just kind of a random thought. Like, as humans continue to multiply and fill the earth, the number of demons remains static, I think. I think that's like a safe assumption, but even though it doesn't say it explicitly in the Bible. Um, and therefore, like, I think part of Satan's strategy, like, hey, if he's going to accomplish his goals, it makes sense that he would go more for leaders than individuals. 
Um, because when you take out a leader, you take out their flock, right? Yeah. You take out a, a father, man, you hurt that family. You take out a pastor, you hurt that whole church. Take out the leader of a network or a denomination, man, so many people suffer from that. And so um, I think, uh, yeah, there's just a, there's not only an increased danger from being alone or isolated from church, but also from stepping into leadership in the church. Um, I think there's danger that comes from that. Uh, and, and it doesn't mean don't do it. It means just like how important is it, right? As you step into places of leadership, so even you, Caden, as you consider ministry, um, to do so in, in such a way where you are deeply connected to community and have that protection that comes from the body of Christ. Yeah. How great is the task of being a spiritual leader? Pretty big. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it, big. It's it even great. says that that, you know, God judges his leaders more harshly than he does uh right so you got else. you got that you got a higher a level of accountability from god from uh -huh. people um james 3 talks about that uh, mm -hmm. as well as you got a bigger target on your back from satan uh first timothy 3 in the qualifications for elders there's two warnings about the the um the attacks or the snare uh or the traps of the enemy um and so i think it's a very real um, concern and something to be careful for and for those you know listening to as a reminder to pray for your leaders to pray for their protection from the enemy's schemes um, to pray for their spiritual growth and well-being and that they'd be able to lead well and lead like jesus so, yeah. yeah good stuff good questions man appreciate you uh digging into some of this with me and leading our time through our first episode of thursday theology Thank you so much, Caden. Yep. Thank you for having me. <laughs>